Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs that are out there making it happen to help, I guess, people learn lessons so they can like put those lessons into place so they don't make the same mistake. Today I'm with a good friend of mine. His name's Ty Menzies. Ty's been in business um, his entire life effectively. Um, he has worked all around the world. He's now the global CEO of Lift Brands, which has over 2,000 fitness clubs in 26 countries around the world. So he's the global CEO of that company. He's also owned a number of private gyms himself. Uh, he's managed fitness clubs, Gold's Gym in the UK. He sits on the board of Fitness Australia New Zealand. Uh, he's a savvy investor himself, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And um, yeah, he's really a mover and shaker, especially in the health and fitness landscape. So sit back, enjoy this week's episode with Ty Menzies. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people that are out there making it happen. And I'm very excited today for today's guest. His name's Ty Menzies, and our business friendship relationship goes back probably close to 15 odd years now and um, as all entrepreneurs do they go on different paths different journeys but one thing Ty has done is been a really inspiring leader in the fitness industry he's now the global CEO of Lift Brands and he's worked his way through different roles in that company but he's been involved in franchising uh, his own his own boutique gyms as well he's just about to embark on a journey out to the u.s to run uh, lift brands which its major i guess product is snap fitness with over 1500 stores but they've got 2000 clubs under that brand worldwide and he'll share a little bit more about that but ty's worked in all different areas of the fitness industry he's traveled the world he's lived in different countries doing fitness and he's also a very savvy investor into both property and private companies so i'm very excited today to dive into ty's story Um, so let's welcome ty to the show uh, thanks, Craig. Great to be here, mate. No worries. And I guess the best place I always like to start is, you know, for you to share a bit of it about your journey and story and some of the the things that have really been important to you along your journey of success. Yeah, sure, mate. Look, I think uh, for most people, you think back to where business first became um, a part of your life. And, you know, my parents, I grew up um, with my parents as restaurateurs and, um always had that small business thought in the back of my mind. I saw them work within their businesses and um, were never sort of employed at any stage throughout my uh, my upbringing. And, you know, the trials and tribulations of small businesses where I had uh, experienced that. And, you know, that sort of led to the path of knowing that I wanted to go down a, a, a business and, and owning my own business and being my own boss. And so, you know, I think when I, um, I left school and, and did my studies in the fitness space, um, most of the roles that I kind of took were always focused on well, what's that path to gym ownership and it was gym ownership that was the real kind of key that I, I really aspired to and 
you know, I went through the journey of, uh, of being a personal trainer into um, the sales space, realized that I really needed to get gym management under my belt and uh, at that time moved to the UK and spent some time managing um, sort of large um, scale clubs over there with the, the, the franchise brand called Gold's Gym and that was probably my first real intro to franchising at that time. Um, spent some great time there but uh, inevitably wanted to come back to Australia and was ready to sort of invest, had a little bit of money to my name and uh, and borrowed the rest and, and purchased my first franchise called AFM Health Clubs which um, ended, to, ended up having multiple of those, a couple of 24-7 clubs and you know, sold out of most of that um, a few years back, probably six or seven years ago, and uh, um, sort of stepped into the realm of franchising again, but with uh, quite a large organisation overtaking sort of um, lift brands for Australia and then Australia, New Zealand, and, and just recently um, been appointed to global CEO. So it's certainly been a, a journey. Um, you know, on top of that, I sit on the uh, the Exercise New Zealand and Fitness Australia board, so have um, you know, quite a bit of insight into the the fitness industry across both of those countries, but certainly soon to be much more global from that perspective as well. And you're just about to move out to the US. And I always, you know, I've been in the, the industry for a long time myself, and I'm very interested in what the the different trends are, what's happening. I've seen the, um, you know, the, the models come out of the US into, um, into Australia in particular. But just describe... Um, the lift brands model is it small boutique gyms 24-hour gyms is it ladies focus like what's if you were to describe lift brands and that business model how would you describe it yeah, interestingly we play across a, a number of uh, aspects of the industry um we have our convenience 24 7 model in snap fitness um and that's certainly our major staple been our most successful brand um we then stepped into Boutique Fitness, um, a kickboxing brand called Nine Round and um, Nine Round 30-minute convenience type um, solution, but uh, very much done in a boutique feel with a trainer there every time you come in, um, competing in that space against the, you know, the likes of your F45s and those type of um, stores. Um, and then we also have, you know, you know, we've got a couple of other brands, which I won't touch on too much, that are not as significant. You know, Snap's sort of 1,500 locations. Um, Nine Round is sort of 700 plus nearly now. Um, so we're sort of moving just past that 2,000 store mark. Um, the third piece really is um, what we call Fitness On Demand, and that's our virtual training platform. That's not a franchise. It's a, a license model, and we have a number of our, I look to a degree, a number of our competitors that use that product. Um, and, and It's a great product, um, facilitates really well. It's been fantastic through this period of COVID in particular with a lot of people working from home. So for us to be able to pivot both of our bricks and mortar stores from um, Snap Fitness and Nine Round and leverage the fitness on demand product. It's been really beneficial through this uh, this COVID shutdown period for us. Mm. So, so with your model, like it's predominantly a franchise model, is some of it company owned as well? Do you look at um, having some stores fully owned by um, your brands or is it really mm. a full franchise model? That's a good point. We definitely do have corporately owned stores. Um, so we have offices in um, in the US, in Minneapolis, of all places. Um, we have uh, an office in Mexico, one in Brisbane, which is now our APAC office, and then uh, another uh, office in London. And um, each of those areas, we have corporately owned stores in both brands, in both the Snap Fitness and the Nine Round brand. And I think it's 
you know, it's important from a franchisor perspective for us to have corporately owned stores. We don't have a huge holding. We've got about 50 stores across the, um, the, the entire group. Um, but it really allows us to be in the play and understand what's happening at ground level. It, it allows us to test new ideas, um, approve the, you know, different concepts and models that we're working on for our franchisees before rolling something out. So I think it's a really important thing for a franchisor to have um, their, their hand on the pulse like that and actually be involved in some stores. Um, obviously, we don't want it to detract from our focus and our number one focus is franchising and working with our franchisees. So, um, yeah, it's just it's important to be involved in that space but to, to not allow it to distract us too much. And your, your, your prime product is Snap, uh, the boutique gym, but you've moved into nine round. How, what, what's the theory and what's the um, decision-making around that? Is it just that the opportunities there? Is it a high-growing market, that um, let's call it mixed martial arts style of approach? Like, What was the rationale behind that? Yeah, it's a good question, mate. I mean, obviously... Um from a perspective of uh, Snap Fitness, it's been a tremendous product for us. And, uh, you know, when we started Snap Fitness in the area, it's founded in the US um, about 15 odd years ago. Convenience Fitness really we were right at the start of that. Um, you know, there was one or two competitors that kind of started at the same sort of time, but we we're certainly at the start of that curve. And that curve ran really strong for probably, you know, seven or eight years um, before we started to see the emergence of boutique fitness, these smaller sort of studio based facilities where, you know, members were paying a higher price point, really wanting more service. And, you know, our premise was um, for Snap Fitness, fast, affordable and convenient. You know, our um, idea was that uh, lots of locations, um, minimal cost for, for our, uh, our consumers. And as the boutique model has started to grow and evolve and, and, and uh, get traction, um, we certainly wanted to make sure we we're in that space. And we, we certainly wanted to differentiate ourselves in terms of what, um, what the product was. Um, Nine Round was an emerging product in, in the US at the time. And um, and so we uh, made a significant investment into the, the Nine Round product with the founder um, who still operates the, the Nine Round business to an extent for us as the, the Nine Round CEO, um, a tremendous guy and um, done a tremendous job with the business. And uh, we operate majority outside of the US region for, for the business. He looks after all of the US. Um, our focus is on international development for the Nine Round brand. So... We see it as a tremendous opportunity. Um, certainly, um, kickboxing fitness is um, a trending element within the fitness industry at the moment. Um, interestingly, uh, our predominant clients are females, sort of age 30 to, to 45 is kind of the, the major demographic we see. It's about 80% of our member base. So it's, uh, it's the women that really enjoy that, that model, which is, uh, is interesting to see. Mm. And, and you are like the franchising world obviously i've uh, spent a bit of time in that space as well i've interviewed a few franchisors on the show as well to get their insights and perspective um would you say when you're looking for a franchisee you're looking for a business person to buy snap fitness or you're looking for someone that is that fitness person i guess ideally you want a business person with the fitness background that's the holy grail what type of um, person would typically own a snap fitness yeah you know what i've, I've had that question a number of times right and it's interesting um <sighs> There's, there's actually, and as much as I, I hate to say this, there's no set person, and this is where it becomes difficult from a marketing perspective. Is, you know, I think yes, we one of the the, the biggest drivers is some business acumen for sure. Um, 
Number two, they have to be financially sound to be able to invest. But number three, and the thing that I love about this industry um, is that they, they really need to be passionate about the fitness industry or passionate about fitness in general. Um, and I think for a lot of people, um, there's a lot of different businesses you can invest in, but um, the fitness industry for a lot of people is a passion-based investment as well. So, you know, if we can get those three things, that's certainly the holy grail. But really, you know, we talk about our ideal franchisee and I think if, if I talk to that for a second, we, we sort of sum it up within um, our organisation as, you know, the ideal franchisee is willing to run the play, you know, show passion towards, engage significantly and invest regularly in their store, you know, their team, the brand and a community. And, you know, that really talks to what's important in a franchisee. They really need to be part of the organisation. They need to be passionate about who we are as an organisation and buy into that. Um, and they need to be a team player at the end of the day. So, that probably gives a little bit of information, mate, but, um, you know, certainly someone that's uh, got a little bit of business acumen and financially sound and, and passionate about the industry. If you tick those three boxes, we can certainly work with you. And um, I guess being on the board of Fitness Australia or um, uh, that organisation there, you would see a lot of different trends happening in the fitness industry. What are some of the biggest trends in 2020? Is it still 24-hour gyms? Is it uh, a move away from that? What What do you see from that perspective? Yeah, I, I look, the, the trends haven't changed too much over the last few years. Um, you know, it's certainly starting to trend much more or it has trended much more towards small group um, style training programs. So in particular, uh, you know, your high interval, uh, high intensity interval training type workouts, um, certainly anything that's group based. Um, you know, there's certainly the trend around body weight and strength training is still very important. Um, what we have seen drop off significantly is cardiovascular training in particular in the gym. So, you know, with a lot of our snap fitness stores, we've pivoted our stores from being a footprint of predominantly cardio and strength to now, uh, a very small or much smaller cardio um, footprint and a much larger strength and functional training footprint. Um, and then we're sort of seeing, you know, some of those other items which, are, you know, yoga and um, mind-body um, fitness programs for older adults with the ageing population in, in most countries now. Um, and then probably the last piece that rounds all those things together is uh, a component of technology. Um, certainly wearable technology has been a significant component um, in particular, in um, in our stores, we've focused on heart rate um, technology and um, member app for for you know um, supporting digital community and, and digital results tracking and food and all those sort of things. So, um, yeah, they're probably the major trends we're seeing in terms of you know stores and types of stores. Look, boutique is is still trending solidly. You know, coming out the other side of COVID. I think it'll be interesting to see what consumer sentiment does. I mean, the, the you know, we came out of uh, the GFC back in sort of um, late 2009-ish and um, what we saw was, you know, the, the convenience model was hugely successful. We grew rapidly with Snap Fitness because we both had consumer trend from a perspective of um, – uh, the general public probably having a little bit less to spend on some of those high service, high cost type facilities um, that moved into the convenience model. But also from a franchising perspective, you know, in, in times of tough economic situations, people tend to start thinking about 
where to invest and, and rather than their employment, which, you know, you know, during this situation, we've seen a lot of people um, stood down. Um, those people, and, and there's a lot of people that, that may have been stood down, it's their opportunity to think about a change. And, um, and so we're actually, you know, at the moment, we're actually seeing quite a significant um, increase in interest in franchising across our Snap Fitness brand again, which is, um, yeah, maybe it's not something that people tend to think would happen, but uh, yeah, it tends to happen in these sort of situations. And we're talking about COVID-19 and, and that's probably, if you talk about an industry that would have, you know, felt the heat the most, you know, what's some of the things, you've, you're obviously in Fitness Australia, sit on the board there, but you're also in the field, you know, in the business as well. What are a couple of the key things that have been really important um, and, yeah, I'd like to hear your perspective on that? Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, industry bodies are really important during these sort of these times. I mean, this is obviously an unprecedented time. I know people have used that that saying a lot, but it, I mean, it, it matches uh, what we've been through. The fitness industry absolutely has been um, significantly impacted. Um, you know, it's a resilient space. People are going to want to spend on fitness. We're certainly seeing as we're starting to reopen our stores, you know, we've reopened stores. Um, New Zealand, we've been open for sort of four weeks now. Um, Australia is starting to open its doors, Queensland last week, um, New South Wales this week, Victoria the week after. Um, so we're, we're certainly seeing um, good numbers coming back to the stores. Um, members are driving back in the door. So the consumer sentiment's pretty good. Um, what we, you know, from a perspective of industry bodies, um, it, it's been tremendous to see both industry bodies kind of leading conversation and, and probably that um, lobbying and advocacy piece within the government. Um, and the fitness industry, unfortunately, probably hasn't been seen in the best light from a government perspective. Um, it's probably been classed in with, the, the, you know, the pubs and nightlife sort of scene. It's a you know, a bit of a, a wild, wild west to a degree from the um, the government's perspective. But I think with industries like Fitness Australia and Exercise New Zealand really professionalising the the industry and, and being strong spokespeople for our industry um, and setting really strong standards um, for the industry really is helping us. And it's certainly helped us during this period. It's given us a really strong opportunity to create the right relationships and inroads to uh, to government and, uh, and the health um, organisations as well. So feel strongly about, you know, if there's a white, uh, a silver lining in this whole situation, um, that's certainly one of them that uh, hopefully we get more recognition and maybe a little bit more funding for the fitness industry moving forward. And as a global CEO of um, a business uh, as well, like, you know, you've got to look at, you know, battening down all the hatches type of thing to uh, keep your business alive. Um, and I think in some situations, you know, that real smaller independent operators may not get through. The bigger ones with a bit more cash and a bit more rigor behind their business will get through or they may still face big challenges as well. What have you seen as a, a global CEO? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll talk to um, our organisation a little bit. I mean, we are obviously quite large and cash, I mean, at the end of the day, during these sort of periods, cash is really king and, and it's the only thing to get you through the other side. Um, so, so certainly reserving cash was a number one priority and it has been. We've had to, to work very tightly on that. But we, we made two very significant decisions that impacted us significantly from a cash flow perspective. Um, the first one was... From day one, we ceased all billing of our members globally. 
as well as ceased all billing of our franchisees globally, meaning that both franchisee and franchisor ceased any sort of income moving forward. So we've, we've basically seen, if you talk globally, almost three months without income across the business, which is, um, you know, we've got some sources of income in certain areas, but that's a significant impact to the business. Um, Fortunately, yes, we were in a strong cash position and we have very strong clubs, robust clubs across most of our regions, some regions not quite as high performing as others. And that's where we, we are certainly seeing some challenges coming out of the other side. Um, but fortunately, we've been able to work our through, way through that. Um, you know, the other significant impact that we made a decision on was that we wanted to retain all of our staff. Um, you know, fortunately, in Australia, we've had the JobKeeper situation. In the UK, we've had some really strong subsidies. In, in New Zealand, we had some good subsidies. The US has been more of a challenge, and certainly our um, significant footprint of employees is based out of the US. So we did make some, um, some small numbers of stand-downs or furloughs, um, is what we call it over there. So... Um, that, that's always a challenge doing that, but um, we, we really limited that quite significantly and, um, and we've been able to sort of come out the other side and starting to bring some of those employees back on board now that we're reopening stores. And we're, we're back to about two thirds of our um, full operation in terms of store openings across the globe at the moment. Um, you know, I couldn't speak too much from a competitor perspective. I do know some local competitors here in, in Australia have uh, almost from, you know, within the first week of store closures, they stood down a lot of staff. Um, we didn't want to go down that line. And whilst it's a, you know, a big commitment financially for the culture of our business coming out the other side of this, and, and in particular, being able to support our franchisees through the other side of this, um, I think it's really been beneficial for us. Mm, yeah, if you can do that, that's obviously, you know, you build your, um, I guess, your culture is probably one word you can say, like people feel like, you know, there's a bit of love there because there'll be certain people that say we don't care what happens. We've got to survive as a parent company. So if you can do that, you know, it will, will go a long way for the long term. For sure, mate. What's the, what's the catchphrase been for the government? We're all in this together. So. <laughs> Um, so, uh, like, and on that, while we're we talking about that, like, I think one of the, the key things, like, you and I have moved through on different journeys. We did spend, you know, probably the best part of eight years of our journey with EFM Health Clubs um, on that journey, but we've always maintained a relationship. And I think what you're doing now, um, building relationships would have been a really key thing for you to get a role as global CEO would you say that that's one of your guiding principles for success yeah look mate um yeah I think the the people talk about hard work right and um and and yes we want to work smart but the reality is you gotta you gotta grind you, you gotta put in hard work and you gotta deliver right full stop um, so I will premise what I say now on those items for sure. Um, but certainly relationship building, conversations with the right people at the right time um, certainly helps with that. And, um, and you know, you've got you've to be seeking those right people to, to, to help take you on that journey, you know, um, aligning yourself with the right people through life, you know, whether that be in business or property investment or just the right people that facilitate all of those things, you know, you're, your suite of people such as lawyers, accountants, financial planners, brokers, all those sort of things. You've got to have the right people in all of those spaces and, um, and not to settle for, 
for whoever you find first. I think um, building those strong relationships, rewarding those relationships, and continuing to you know to to keep them strong is a is an important part of success moving forward. Yeah, and and you touched on it there, like building a team. So I have a broker that I trust, an accountant I trust. Uh, you know, if it's tax advice, I've got someone I trust. You know, I I have a reasonably good handle on the health and wellbeing side of things through twenty years in the fitness industry. But I have a mentor, an advisor, and people in different areas. And you know, I might take a property decision to somebody but then I might cross-reference it from a financial perspective with my accountant and my broker. So it's sort of like triangulating your conversations across a team that you trust and respect. Is that, is that something that you're doing quite regularly? Yeah, of course, mate. It's, uh, I mean, I sit down weekly with, uh, even now with a, a, a property mentor, for example. Um, you know, I, it's like anything, and, and I have a, um, a business mentor who, who's based out of the States, a business coach, um, a CEO coach who I work with on a regular basis. We, we catch up fortnightly. So, you know, right back to the days of playing sport, you, it's very difficult, in particular when you're sitting in, in your own business and you're leading your own business or, you know, in my seat, yes, I, I, uh, I report to a board and have that structure, but um, the reality is, um, yes, I'm accountable to them, but um, you still need someone to support you and guide you and mentor you. And I think that's really important um, to learn from someone else's journey is really important to be able to share your thoughts and ideas around how you want to move forward and then be to be held accountable to those items to, to grow and, um, and, and continue to move forward. So look, having those right people around you, the advisors, yes, um, the mentors, absolutely. They're, they're integral to anything you want to do moving forward. So yeah, I, I always suggest for people to seek those people out. And we have moved into that direction now. So we'll ask um, you, like you're obviously investing in businesses and, and some of these investments pop up because you meet and you hang around the right people. You're also investing in property. You just mentioned you're sitting down with a, a property mentor on a regular basis. You know, what's your philosophy around, you know, is it just pure wealth creation? So for me, I always looked at business for cash flow, just invest the cash into building wealth. Is, is that the same sort of philosophy that you take on board? Yeah, look, business has always been about cash flow for me um, and I've never – there's been one or two opportunities early days where I flipped businesses and uh, and had good little paydays, but um, certainly um, it hasn't been about that capital piece. It's been about the cash flow more than anything else, and and that certainly paved the way for further investment into property and so on. And and obviously from a property perspective, it's a little bit different again. So um, that's probably more where I, I try and build the capital appreciation side. So. Um, yeah, look, everyone's got their, their different journey that they've been on. I didn't start in property young. I um, I actually, you know, I bought my, as I said, when I came back from the UK, I was actually only 22 at the time and was fortunate to have a little bit of money and borrowed the rest and, and started in business. And I went from one to two to three to sort of five businesses in that space and still hadn't bought a property and uh, didn't didn't do so until I was in my 30s. So I was probably late to get to property um, and didn't know a huge amount about it, but I wanted to ramp up quite quite quickly I was in a position financially to start doing so and I've sort of gone from zero to, to sort of five properties fairly rapidly in, in the last few years and um, um, continuing to invest in that space so yeah. Cool and just at the end of every episode I always ask a few rapid fire questions Are you, if you're a book reader is there a book that everyone on the show should read if they want to get ahead in life? Yeah um, 
I think if you're if you're in small business, there's a gentleman by the name of Michael Bungay Stanya, um, Canadian fella. Um, he's written a book by uh, called uh, The Coaching Habit, and uh, it's one. It, it's a fairly short read. You'll be able to get through it in, in no more than a week. Um, if you're a you know a reader that puts in sort of an, an hour or half, even half an hour a day, you might get through it. Um, but if you're if you're leading people, um, if you have a team of any description, um, this is a tremendous book. And you know I've I've completed an MBA and gone through leadership programs and all sorts of things. And you know what I learned more out of this this book and then watching Michael for sort of an hour on stage than than I have in most of those leadership courses. So it's interesting just how you know real life concepts um, can make a tremendous difference, and um, and that's what this book's all about. So I do read. I, I like to try and get through as many books as I can. The, the last couple of weeks transitioning into global CEOs put me a little bit behind on my reading schedule this year, but. Uh, but that's the last book that I, I picked up and um, tremendous read. And, and I, I saw Michael sort of oh, probably 12 months ago for the first time. And, um, and this book's fairly new from him. Cool. And what about other learning? Are you into podcasts, Audible or any uh, YouTube shows? Is there any other form that you learn? And if so, anything that stood out to uh, share with the audience? Yeah, um, Audible, I, uh, I spent a little bit of time listening to a range of things. Certainly from a podcast perspective, um, there's a range of items. I think, you know, certainly if I think about the last three months, to be honest with you, mate, I, I, I'm sure everyone will speak from this experience. I've actually been bombarded with so many different really quality webinars um, and items that have been sent to me. I, I'm, um, I've probably signed up for for 10 or 15 different things over the, the past sort of six weeks and ranging from property to business to um, how to, you know, navigate your way through COVID and out the other side and, and all sorts of things. So that's actually been really beneficial. So I, I tend to like to dig in and um, watch a range of ad hoc items. I don't um, listen into any one particular presenter or author. I think it's important to get quite a broad spectrum on in particular leadership and, and thought leadership because, there's no one way of leading um, leading an organisation. You've got to have your own flavour to it. Um, yes, there's a there's a range of principles that apply to being a strong leader, but generally speaking, um, you've got to have your own flavour. And I think if you can take little bits and pieces from a range of different places um, and listen to lots of different snippets, uh, you know, I might listen to a, uh, a two-hour podcast and only take one or two things away, but that's still quite a beneficial result. So... Mm. I don't have too many specific ones that I can share right off the top of my head, but um, certainly, uh, yeah, a broad spectrum of items is a really good place to be. Yeah, and timing and, and relevance and going through COVID-19, learning as much as you can about navigation and opportunities and listening to experts and commentary around that, certainly, um, you know, important to understand to get, you know, not a media perspective, getting an actual uh, perspective from people outside of selling a narrative in the media. So, very smart move. What about the best bit of advice you've ever received? Oh, it would have been from my father many, many years ago. Um, I remember when I uh, I came back from the UK. I was just just after my twenty second birthday, and I, I had a little bit of money there, and I went and borrowed um, had about forty grand. I went and borrowed about seventy five odd from the bank, and. Um, this was to go into my first franchise and I remember him saying, well, 
mate, you're, uh, you know, you've taken a bloody big bite, so you better bloody well chew hard. So, you know, it's always kind of stood with me pretty strongly from that perspective. I know it's not a, it's nothing special. There's no great thinking about it, but, you know, it just comes back to that hard work and hard work ethic of, of, you know, I watched my folks in the restaurant from a young age and, you know, they put in the hours and, um, yes, you want to work smart, but um, hard work still is is something that you've got to have. And uh, I think that's been lost a little bit over the, the way for a lot of people. So put in the hard work and, and deliver the results and um, you certainly get noticed. And what about worst bit of advice? Anything jump out to you there? I don't know, mate. It's maybe something you told me when we were at EFM. No, kidding. <laughs> um, I, look, I, I, worst bit of advice. Wow, um, that's a tough one, mate. I, Oh, look, I, I don't know if I've got something off the top of my head, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, it's not so much worst piece of advice. I think um, it probably just relates more. I, I'd rather spin that on its head a little bit and just say, you know, people are people love to give advice. Um, and it's not that I've had the worst piece of advice, but I've, I've certainly had advice that I disagreed with or didn't make sense. And but it still sometimes can get to you and, and um, sort of to a degree dictate you, your train of thought and, um, and your confidence in doing something. So I guess don't let it um, is, is my piece of advice around that. There's been plenty of times when I've had a great idea and, and I've wanted to do something and someone's really pushed back on it for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, and you know what, if, you, if you're a hundred percent on it and, and you're ready to go, then, then move forward with it. You know, listen to yourself that, you know, the, the idea is usually the right one. So. Yeah, that is good advice. And what about next three to five years for Ty? Is it, uh, he's moving to the U S uh, yeah. What, what's that look like? Yeah. Um, mate, look for me, I, you know, I, I, at 22, I stepped into my own business and, um, you know, now just before just turned 35 and, you know, I've been with this organization now for four and a half odd years, um, in, uh, sort of Australia CEO, AUNZ and then APAC CEO and now stepped into the global CEO role. And now up until stepping in with this organization, I had been in business for myself. I hadn't worked for anyone else. I hadn't, I didn't have a, a board to report to. It was me doing my thing, which, you know, I loved. Um, but what I've really found to, to love uh, as part of such a large organization is the amount of, uh, the amount of people. And, you know, I, I stepped into the fitness industry because I really, I loved helping people and, I loved helping people through fitness. That was my kind of game and, and what I really loved. And then, you know, stepping into small business, I was able to help more people. Now I've found a real passion in that I'm helping business owners create a real lifestyle and um, a financial, you know, through through financial wealth in an industry that is a lot of fun um, and you're looking after people's health and, and making people smile. And so I get to help both small business owners create a great lifestyle and, and financial freedom, but I also get to help lots of people um, reach their, um, their fitness goals, their health and fitness goals through that. And, and that's a really great place to be. So, you know, for me, I really enjoy that. I, I, I certainly don't see myself um, 
packing up anytime soon from this role. I think I've certainly got uh, three to five years easily ahead of me. Um, you know, this is a private equity business and there will be an exit for, for the private equity group that, that's involved at some stage in the probably the next four, three to three to five years, but I'd say it's probably the next four to five years. Um, just with what we've gone through with COVID, that will certainly hinder the process a little. Um, so in terms of where I see that land, mate, I, certainly the next three to five years in the, in the US operating the business. Um, you know, we're, we're a global business at the end of the day. A lot of our growth is in the APAC region and um, the Europe region. So um, do I land in one of those regions at, at some stage during that three to five years, potentially? Um, we'll see where that goes. You know, after my time with Lyft, you know, I'll be sort of moving towards that uh, that 40 mark, mate. Hopefully, I'll, you know, there's, there's a goal to have a significantly uh, larger holding of property. And I think my, my goal at that point in time is to come back to Australia and maybe get into a bit of property development. And um, I think that's probably, you know, the next next journey after that. But who knows? The life's a journey, mate. I, I think five years is a long time to plan. Oh, absolutely. I think um, it's good to uh, have some vision towards where you're working towards, but also, you know, be flexible to be able to adjust at any given moment. So, and whereabouts do we find Thai lift brands, um, potential franchisees, where do they go? Yeah, look, I mean, if you're, if you're interested in uh, in finding more out, I mean, uh, Snap Fitness, you've only got to Google us and, uh, and we'll come up quite quickly. And, you know, there's plenty of information. Um, easiest place would be to go to either of our websites, Snap Fitness or Nine Round, um, for both Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, if you are interested in franchising, by all means, you know, reach out to, uh, to our franchise development managers. Um, easiest way to do that is via the website um, and, uh, and they'll get back to you very quickly. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's certainly the place to start. And just for you, do you have your own website or anything, or just go? Everyone can just go to buy a franchise at Snap Fitness. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't, mate. I don't have a personal uh, personal website or profile. Look, I'm more than happy for people to connect with me. I, I'm um, I do quite a bit through LinkedIn. Um, that's a platform that I like to use. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not huge on, on social um, channels personally. Uh, I don't have a personal brand so much. Uh, I like to stay behind the scenes a little bit, but I'm quite prevalent on, um, on LinkedIn. That's a good space to connect with me on and uh, more than happy to connect with, with anyone that would like to there um, if it's more from a personal or business perspective. So, yeah, and then you yeah, look from, from a brand perspective, the, the best place to start is, is direct on our websites and, um, and that'll give you lots of information about the opportunities and look, our, um, our franchise development managers are the best people to speak to there, certainly across the opportunities, whether it be, you know, new um, greenfield opportunities or, or existing locations, we, we have both and, you know, different investors suit different opportunities. Um, you know, at the moment we have a, a really strong investor who's looking at purchasing um, sort of five to ten existing stores for Snap Fitness, and um, you know that makes sense for their investment profile. For others, it might be starting a brand new store. So definitely having the conversation with those business development managers is the place to start. Beautiful. And from my uh, perspective, it's been good to catch up. We do, from a relationship point of view, we've often you know, made the effort just to touch base every year or so on, catch up for a coffee, whatever, um, even though we're on different journeys. But I wanted to get you on here because, you know, you have been on a great journey and you've learned a lot of lessons along the way and you've just, you have worked hard and you have, um, you know, grinded it out, let's say, from, you know, even pre-22, 
pivot from your first business to being global CEO of a big brand like Lyft Brands. So I want to thank you for coming on and and sharing a bit of the story and uh, giving some insights. Uh, Craig, hopefully uh, it's been a pleasure, first of all, but hopefully what I've said, it's uh, something resonates for for someone listening in. So that's the, the main piece. No worries. Thanks for that, Ty. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Ty Menzies. There's a lot of learning in this week's episode. What an amazing journey. Bought his first business age 22, owned multiple fitness clubs, and now the global CEO of one of the biggest brands in the fitness space. Also sits on the board, so a really influential figure in the health and fitness industry worldwide. Uh, A lot of learnings in this episode. We talked a lot about relationships, making investments, and really one of the key takeaways I really found with uh, Ty was the importance of hard work, and that there is going to set you up to win. If you're prepared to work hard and learn from the right people, you've got a good formula for success. If you like today's episode, make sure that you share it with your friends, family, colleagues, networks, put it up on social media as it's really important for uh, uh, for myself to attract more high-quality uh, guests to the show. They want to find out that we're a popular podcast. So if you can do that, that would be great. If you haven't got an, a copy of You've Got One Shot, uh, my book that I just released, go across to craigschultz.com and register your interest or reach out to me to find out how you can get hold of that book. Uh, at the end of every episode, I always say live life with passion and purpose. You've got one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot. My name's Craig Schultz, the host of the One Shot Movement podcast.